Hello and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Lane. This is Meg. Well, today we're reviewing Deception by Amanda Quick. This was published in 1993 and is a standalone romance. Yeah, so it is a historical romance, which I believe all of the ones she writes as Amanda Quick are. That's right. But for those of you who are fans, you know she has pen names where she expands beyond the genre. So I just want to dive right into the with the jacket. Let's do it. From a cozy cottage in rustic Dorset to a magnificent mansion steeped in secrets comes a dazzling tale of lost pirate gold and legendary love. Once Olympia Wingfield had been free to devote all her time to her true passion, the study of ancient legends and long lost treasure. But now, with three Hellion nephews to raise, the absent-minded beauty has very little time for research which makes it seem all the more serendipitous when a handsome stranger strides into Olympia's library unannounced and proceeds to set her world to rights. Tall and dark with long windswept black hair, Jared Ryder, Viscount Tilhurst, is the embodiment of Olympia's most exotic dreams. A daring pirate masquerading in teacher's garb whose plundering kisses and traveler's tales quickly win her heart. Yet all too soon, innocent Olympia will discover that the enigmatic and wickedly sensual Chillhurst is no lowly tutor, but a future earl with a wealth of secrets, the kind that will lead them both on a perilous quest for hidden fortune and a love worth more than gold. That's right. I ran That's out right, of breath. Lane. I ran out of breath. <laughs> that last paragraph is is actually just one sentence I realized that first sentence also goes on mm -hmm. I've noticed because lately I've actually been reading a lot of rereading I should say a lot of these they all start off the jacket by saying like from a little cottage in Hampshire to the glittering world of London <laughs> I have a question yes. does Hampshire count as a trope when it's not a clapis I don't think so okay it was, it's for science, I had to ask. Also, a wider complaint that I can't really blame Amanda Quick for, but Chillhurst is too close to Chillinghurst from Finsters? From Chilling, Chillinghurst, Chillhurst? Chillingsworth. Chillingsworth. Chillingsworth yeah. from um, Finsters, and so I kept reading it wrong in my brain. Yeah, I, it, this is totally not Amanda, um, Amanda Quick's fault, because no. obviously this was written way before that one was. At least no one calls him Chill. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> That's fine. So as usual, we generated a random number and wrote our own summary. And this week, or this episode, the random number was 16. So my 16-word summary. The most honorable pirate poses as a tutor to the sexy librarian woman holding his family secrets. That is a very good summary, I think. Thank you. Here's mine. It's impossible to find good help. New hires always end up being sexy aristocrats in disguise. Yes. So um, that is a trope, obviously, pretending to be a tutor or getting showing up and getting mistaken for the hired help and just sticking and around. Just, and, just, and just going with it, just being like, yeah, this sounds like a great disguise to me. And honestly, I think the most prevalent time that that's been used in pop culture is uh, The Christmas Prince. Oh, well, I haven't actually seen the Christmas Prince. <gasps> what? <laughs> I know. What oh. rock 
do you exist under I'm, Meg? I'm a horrible person. I read like I mean, a I'm million not moralizing books. it. I'm just concerned that you don't like no. leave your home. I, that's the problem. All I do is read and watch the Bachelor franchise, and that's about it. That's all I do with my life. <laughs> well, we do have a Gentleman Jackson's Get Fit workout for the Viscount in disguise mm-hmm. because um, Jared is obviously super hot. Uh, duh. Duh. Uh, also, this is not in the book jacket, and we didn't talk about it, but FYI, guys, he has an eye patch. <laughs> I, I will say that beyond it being, making him look more piratey, it's not, like, made sexy. No, it's not, it's not specifically sexualized. Yeah. But it, it, it is in the text. <laughs> 100%. Um, so what does he do to stay fit lane? I mean, basically like pirate stuff, knife fight. No, no real specifics were mentioned. <laughs> no, no real specifics. There are some knife fights and then he does move some boxes around. Yeah. He like packs and unpacks a cart. Yeah. But he's very good at fighting. Yeah. So... But I guess that's what you do. How did he get good at fight? Unclear. It's very unclear, but he's been good at fighting since for a very since a very young age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a major part of his character development. <laughs> so, what did you think the main trope in this book was, Meg? Well, I mean, there are a lot. This is a very tropey book, which I love. My favorite trope. Of the many is the absent-minded professor trope that is a gender swap. So she is the absent-minded professor, and he is the unassuming secretary who comes in and basically whips her life into shape. So I love that part. I really love it. Well, it's also interesting because I feel like in historical romance novels, when we've seen the absent-minded professor, the absent-minded professor trope, it's often the employer of the heroine. Yes. And it's viewed negatively, like yeah. he's taking advantage of her or he assumes things of her or he, like, even in the most benign instance, just assumes she'll be with him forever and doesn't mm-hmm. really view her as all that human. So I thought here, not only was it fun to see it gender swapped, but it was fun to see it portrayed as like cute rather than yes. some sort of real character flaw. Yes. And I mean, we have seen plenty of women scientists who are also absent minded. But I think what makes it tropey is the fact that there's this supporting character who really does all the all the mental load of of running a household. Yes. Um, And in most cases, that's a woman. But here it's the hero. And I love it. And it's very competency porn. Oh, absolutely. I think it's great. It was wonderful. So So that's my favorite. He is the black sheep in his family in that he's the good one. I love this one too. Which we see a lot. And so the pretense that starts the very beginning of this novel is that she is a treasure hunter by trade. Right. Or like, from an anthropological sense, like she doesn't actually go out and explore exploring and she has no intention of ever digging up the treasure, but she's interested in legends and mysteries and lore and that sort of stuff. And so she somehow becomes aware of this hidden pirate treasure and 
that the secrets of it are written in this woman's diary that's gone missing. How exactly she becomes aware of this, I sort of feel like it's glossed over. But apparently this is tied to his family secret, and his family has also been chasing the diary forever, but his family is too dumb to read the diary. His his family's too dumb to read it, but um his family is very feckless and they have kind of lost all their fortune and he's been the one to build it up just in the last 10, 15 years since he took over running the family. But his family all think that this is abandoning their principles of piracy, I guess. Yes. I don't know. The family, this is one of those families where the family motto is like fly by the seat of your pants or whatever, you know? Right. (laughs) right and so the fact that he methodically finds out who's his bought the diary and then he's his plan is to meet with her and buy the diary from her but of course the first time he sees her she is Belle in the beginning of Beauty and the Beast teetering on a ladder except there's an old pervert reaching up her skirts and immediately that sparks an unbelievable passion in him and he realizes he gives not one fig for the diary any longer and this is also like his family. Um, we see this so much in the the black sheep trope. If you're the good guy, and that's why you're the black sheep, that the woman you meet is your one downfall. So she's where you're yeah. like, I guess I am like my father. <laughs> right. I do have the family passions. What can I say? I like this trope. But so rather than immediately coming clean to her about why he's there, but expressing his eternal love. He decides to operate under a false identity and tell her he's a tutor for reasons. Yep. So that's so trope number three is the fake identity trope. Yep. Uh, and then she decides they're going to go to London and he's going to go with them. And he's like, look, this is going to be really bad for your reputation. He doesn't want to go to London because he knows that his fake identity will come out. Or I'm sorry, his, his real, real identity will come, will come out. out. <laughs> and he will lose his fake identity. So um, she says, well, if we're found out, if anyone sees us, we'll just pretend like we're married. Because she thinks he's a nobody and they won't even use their real names and like no big deal. They'll just pretend it didn't happen. But he decides to go along with it. And of course, they're found out. And so then they enter into a fake relationship. (laughs) Yeah, well, and they're found out by trope. The uh, ex-fiance who he didn't really love, but who did cheat on him. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. There Just are, yeah. Ridiculous. Ridiculous, the but whole, wonderful. Yes, ridiculous, but wonderful. And there is a, there's a, there's a feuding family. So his family and another family are feuding. But twist, they have to learn to get along. But also, twist, that like, it's not revealed it's a feuding family book until, like, 70% in. For a while, yeah. That's, that's true. That's true. Point. And it's like, we only had daughters, so the name is different. And you have to be like, what? People are yeah. so stupid in these books. Like, really? Really? You're that stupid that you wouldn't figure out that, like, um, a, a woman can also inherit? Whatever. Any other tropes you want to talk about? There is a, like, makeover 
moment where his uncles help her make over, sort of? Sort of, yes. One of the things I like about Amanda Quick's 90s romances is... 90s romances in general mm-hmm. is that even if there is a makeover moment, it's that's not the moment where the hero sees her and like thinks she's right. really hot. So she gets her moment, but it has nothing to do with him. And then the other obvious one is she is a sad, tragic orphan who was passed yeah. around between various relatives growing up and was very lonely and alone. And her she is now the has three wards who are cousins of hers in similar circumstances. And she's determined not to let what happened to her happen to them. Right. Yeah. So, all right. Great. So, I mean, those are the tropes. This, I will say this is one of my, so I don't know if we have to say this, Again, I feel like every time we review an Amanda Quick, I, I say this. Basically, I'm a huge, huge, longtime fan of Amanda Quick. She was one of my first romance authors who I was really into, and I still like her stuff a lot. I will still reread these 90s romances, and I feel that they hold up pretty well, even though there are some 90s romance things that can be issues. The moments where these lost me, shockingly, with the exception of all of the sexual harassment slash sexual assault, which I will get to. Yes. With the exception of that, I actually felt like the word choice sometimes, like, he talks to her about how he views her as a siren, and, like, and it gets taken too far. He repeats it constantly, and, like, the first time they're hooking up, he's like, you're gonna sing for me, and she's like, I don't even know what that means, and then she starts to moan, he's like, yes, your siren song, and I'm like, I'm grossed out, (laughs) That's, I will say that's kind of an Amanda Quick thing where one of the couple, one of the members of the couple will identify one thing about the other person. And then it's, it's taken, it's very emphasized for the rest of the book. Yes. So, you know, I don't hate it. (laughs) I mean, look, it's fine. It's just, you know, gross. That's fair. <laughs> There's also like a scene where he describes having sex on the beach to her and she's like, oh my God, the sand. And he's like, the pearl. And then the next scene, every time he touches her clit, she's like, the pearl. And I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> well, because she was like, the sand. And he's like, there's a metaphor here. And then the metaphor came into play. It was incredibly subtle. <laughs> <laughs> so subtle. But no, so usually I think I pick on Amanda Quick because it sometimes comes off as a little dated. And I think here the plot works better than I expected it to. And granted, we do give like adventurer, treasure hunter books typically a kinder touch because we like that sort of thing. But it was really the the word choice and the vocabulary and the floridness of it that struck me here more than the plot as dated. It is pretty florid. It is pretty florid. I don't disagree, but I I will eat, I will read these books back to back and still love them. <laughs> so she is, as we mentioned, currently the caregiver to her three nephews who are ten and eight. But the eight year olds. Oh yes, twins. Yes, yes, yes. I was like, wait, but there are three of them. The eight year olds are twins. <laughs> um, 
How did you feel about the children in this book, Meg? I did not dislike them. I felt like they were pretty well written for their ages. I, I didn't, a lot of times you read the books and you're like, oh my God, a five-year-old would not say that. Or you would be like, okay, this person is supposed to be 18, but they act like they're 13. <laughs> we have we have a lot of issues with aging the kids. But I thought that I thought they acted like eight-year-olds and ten-year-olds. You know. Yes, I think they definitely didn't feel out of place in terms of like they weren't jarring to read. I also thought, thought the fact their circumstances were so parallel to the heroines made describing their struggles a lot more justified. Yeah, um, they do end up sort of plot devices. They do end up being sort of plot viral. devices. I, I also one of the things I do like, like yes, this is a plot device sort of, but I like when this happens in a romance, which is where the it's usually the woman who has single kid, single parent duties, right? So they're her wards, but you know she's a single mom. And the, there's a moment when the hero takes care of the kids in one way or the other. And that's the moment where the heroine is like, oh, yes, I really in love with this guy. I love those moments. And it definitely happens here. I mean, this guy is masquerading as a tutor. And yet he manages to keep these three Hellion kids in line. And she loves him because she can now do her research, basically. <laughs> Yeah, she's basically, I love my nephews and I never want them to feel unwanted. And my number one goal is making sure they have the stability that I didn't feel until I got with my perfect aunts. And, but she is like, but I can't do my work because they're just so loud. <laughs> well, and it's such a, for me at least as a mother, it's like such a relatable thing because I love my daughter. I want her to have a wonderful childhood, but there are moments where I am so happy that she's spending the weekend with my mother, you know? <laughs> so it's very relatable, I think. Especially for someone who was sort of thrust into this position. Right. Without any warning and like didn't choose. Like it's one thing to have a child and raise them from the beginning. It's another to have three elementary school age boys show up on your doorstep. Yep. Yeah. So I honestly, in the, in the ranking of, Annoying kids in romance novels. I'd say this definitely airs in the better half. Mm-hmm. It did not. It didn't bug me. They, they as characters, did not annoy me. Right. I know. In in general, I think I'm more forgiving of kids in romance than you are. Uh, yes. <laughs> but I, I think here they. I think it works here because they are part of the story. Completely agree. So this plot is bonkers. So as we mentioned, she's trying to translate this diary that was written by one of his ancestors to potentially find the location of some buried treasure that's been in the family forever. But he's also, she's dealing with like small town issues in that like the guy who was responsible for helping her sell the stuff her uncle sends back to her is extorting or, or is What's the word? Cheating her. Yeah, defrauding her, right? Defrauding, thank you. And That's then he finds out, he thinks he's being swindled by a staff member. So they have to investigate that. Yeah, and so the, all those have, things are going on, yeah. 
And then they obviously have the he's lying about who he is to her plot. And then the fake relationship plot. And then the he hit, was hiding his original real relationship and the reasons for its demise from her. And that doesn't even get into the whole twist when his family shows up at the end. And there's all this. It's just like, this is a busy book. It's a busy book. There's a lot of plot. This is one of the books where it, there's not, it's not an action heavy book. There's not like a lot of fighting or anything like that. But there's a lot of movement. This is a very um, active Active plot. It's not action heavy, but it's very, there's forward momentum. (laughs) And I do actually think at times the relationship suffered for it. I did feel like their first hookup, I don't think you'd actually gotten anything from her perspective about her attraction to him. Except for the fact that she can now do her research in peace. Yeah. (laughs) But but like, and acknowledging that he was like a dangerous, swarthy, sexy dude. But, like, the fact that they felt some sort of actual kinship and emotional connection, like, they start hooking up and she's like, yes, upon reflection, it is true. There's just something between us that's indefinable. And I was like, yeah, but it kind of came out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Again, I have read so many of these books. They're very, they are very formulaic. uh, And I like the formula. Basically, this is a formula that works on me. So, by the third, by chapter three, they kiss. So chapter three is the first kiss between them uh, in these 90s quick romances. And yeah, let's be honest, most of the time they haven't had a lot of time to talk mm-hmm. or set up a relationship before then. But I love them so much. I'm just like, whatever. It's not that I think it's bad. It's just that I think like you need to know what you're getting into. That, this, that, that's totally fair, which is honestly why I'm like just so you know these have a formula and as long as you think okay I'd like to try that out then you should be good yeah like know what you're expecting this isn't going to be the like pumping up the ust until everybody cracks no no absolutely not there's not a ton of unresolved sexual tension in Amanda Quick there's also not a lot of angst which is probably another reason why I love her so much one of the things that she does, and she does it here, is she sets up what you think are going to be very angsty situations, and then she pulls the rug out from under you, and they end up not being angsty at all. And I personally just love it. I love the the little twist every time. You think, oh, God, this is going to be so horrible, and then it's actually not. Completely agree. Her ability to make situations comical, amusing, and complicated without reaching for the easy angst, I really, really admire. I do think, maybe it's just a difference with the modern romance authors we read and love, Clay Bestare, Chase, Milan, whatever. But so one of their habits is that every night after he tutors the boys, they share a glass of something together and talk in the library. And I feel like in modern romance, like those conversations and like the building up of their closeness would have really been in the book. Yeah. Whereas in this book, those scenes are talked about. She's like, I've really become to enjoy our nightly ritual. And then the first time you see the nightly ritual is the night they break and hook up. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, the past past week has been wonderful speaking with you at night. Yeah, exactly. So it's more like that they tell and don't show the beginning of the relationship. Yeah. And by they, I mean these 90s Amanda quick books. And then they sort of thrust you into the middle once 
all of that stuff's already established. And I do think I miss it somewhat. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So you mentioned, I think we both talked about this, about how she's very, she really works with comic situations. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, yeah, situational comedy, that's like a sitcom. But there are these sitcom scenes that I just love where she has so many characters all come in at once. There's a scene, for example, where he has asked her to actually marry him. So yes. sorry, guys, I'm spoiling the book. They do get married. Shocker. Mm-hmm. So he's asked her to marry him, and she's basically said no because, for whatever reason, she said no. But then he convinces her whole family, so her three nephews and then her housekeeper, to put the pressure on and get her to marry him. And so it's just so stupid and so funny, and I love it. One, that whole sequence is hilarious. But two, I'm absolutely spoiling the reason she can't marry him. It's because... She loves him, and she's not sure if he loves her. It is the tropiest trope of all time. <laughs> That's true. She's like, I can't, I love him so much that I can't be with him if he's going to fall for someone else. Or even just isn't in love with me, too, because I couldn't yeah. live with that insecurity. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, by the end of the scene, she's like, fine, I'll marry you just because I have a headache. And she, like, leaves or something like that, and I just love And her. because you give my nephews a schedule. Mm-hmm. It, it's great. And then I, I also love, even after they get married, she continues to order him around because he's her tutor. <laughs> and it's not like, she's not like she's putting him in his place or anything like that. It's just because that's how she got to know him was he was the tutor for her nephews. And so that's like her fallback, you know, she's like, mm-hmm. Oh, she's like, Mr. Chillhurst, please take care of the boys. I'm going to go do something right now. <laughs> And I love it. Even, like, making decisions about the household and, like, who they're allowed to talk to. It's just, it it was really fun. I really like it. I really like it. Every time I read this, I kind of forget, and then I read it, and I'm charmed again. I'm like, oh, yeah, I love that part. Uh, And then I also love the part where, so we talked about how he's the black sheep of the family because he's the good guy, and he's good at business, and he dragged them out of bankruptcy, and... They're just like, he doesn't have enough passion. And one of the things I really like is he very logically makes this decision to let himself be swept away by passion. So it's both his own character, which is he's like very logical and practical. But he's Mm -hmm. also like, I think my family does have a good point about passion. I am going to let myself try this out. And I just thought it was this great mixture when he does that. I think it's great. It's very fun and very in character. I feel like both of these characters were really fully formed. They're both very tropey. So I think that's part of what helps with it is like you're projecting a lot of your knowledge onto these types of characters when reading these people. But I think like this scatterbrained genius academic woman raised by eccentric relatives and the black sheep because he's the good guy, always been the responsible one and never seen the point of being as erratic as the rest of his family finally gets brought low by love it's a fun pairing yeah Yeah, I don't think it's the traditional pairing for either of those tropes that too seeing them together is really fun yeah it's great uh okay so we talked about how there's a ton of plot there are really two plots so one of them is very well developed and this is the treasure hunt it's almost like a scavenger hunt she's like 
decoding this diary and then she's looking for maps and then she's looking for other things and then she discovers she decodes this clue and she's like oh this actually stands for that let me go get it that plot I think is actually pretty well done and made I mean yes it's pretty ridiculous but it hung together pretty well the other plot is this mystery of who's embezzling from him Mm -hmm. And that plot, I feel like, was not developed enough for the weight that it got at the end. Completely agree. And it's it was weird, too, because it was really obvious. Yeah. And it did that annoying fucking thing that I hate. We're in the middle. He's like, he realized who it must have been. There was only one choice at this point. He didn't know why he'd put it off for this long. But they don't say that, like, he's not they thinking the it. name. So there's, there's this middle chunk where, like, Chillhurst knows he needs to deal with it and has figured it out himself. And he's communicating that without the name so the reader is still kept in suspense. And everyone who listens to this podcast knows I hate that. Biggest yeah. pet peeve. All right. So there is... Uh, I This, Okay. This book was written in 1993, guys. I'm very sorry. I am going to spoil something, and it's probably going to be pretty lengthy. So you may want to skip forward four or five minutes here. It doesn't have to do with the main relationship, though. It does not have to do with the main relationship. Um, okay. So there's a couple um, who have a long-standing lesbian relationship. So, I mean, I in this day and age, they would be married, right? Um, but they're closeted, so they are they're not out obviously, to London society. There are two lesbian relationships in this book, though, right? That's a good point. That's a good point. So there's a current relationship, and then it turns out that Olympia's aunt, who raised her, only one of them was her biological aunt. The other one was her her lover, her, her wife, right? Mm-hmm. So they were in a longstanding relationship. And so Olympia has been raised by two women, and she understands that two women can love each other. <laughs> and part of the book is, part of how the book is constructed is that Olympia has a lot of book knowledge, but not a lot of practical knowledge. And mm-hmm. it's sort of emphasized that she's, she's naive in certain ways, right? She's not street smart, whatever. And so the fact that she figures out that this current couple Lady Beaumont and Lady Kirkland are actually a couple is like somehow shocking to everyone. They're like, what? What? She figured us out. And she's like, yes, of course I did. I was raised by a lesbian couple, like mm-hmm. dummies. <laughs> How stupid do you think I am? And they're like, oh, she is actually smarter than we thought, basically. <laughs> but I think for me, what's most interesting about it is how it's handled as a sympathetic relationship, especially in a book that was published in 1993. Mm -hmm. So not only is it not surprising to Olympia, she's also not shocked, horrified, upset. She has no issues with it at all. And in fact, she's very sympathetic to, to the couple because Mm -hmm. they can't be together. Um, what did you think of it? This is something, this is something that we discussed actually a long time ago, because part of the reason that people think Chillhurst is cold 
<laughs> is because he didn't, he discovered um, Lady Beaumont in the arms of Lady Kirkland. So he was engaged to Lady Beaumont at the time. And he discovered her in the arms of her lover, but did not call out her lover. And so people were like, oh, he just broke off the engagement. He's just not, he didn't defend her honor. He didn't defend her honor. And Olympia's like, well, of course. He's like, he, he can't call out a woman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of this like little surprise, but then, you know, whatever. So I think that's what we talked about in a previous episode. And you, at the time, you hadn't read it and you were like, it doesn't sound that great to me. Um, how did you feel reading it here? It didn't bother me. Um, I do find, so this book is 30 years old at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And I do find the virtue signaling uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but I think that's my modern lens. Like it's no longer enough to just tell somebody a character is gay and maybe expound upon why that made their life difficult. Like, this falls short of fully fleshed out lesbian secondary characters. Oh, absolutely. But for 1993. (laughs) Well, that was the thing too, is I, I was interested to see what was going on in popular culture at the time. Mm -hmm. So the real world with Pedro, the first real world, Mm -hmm. uh, which had in this huge uh, impact on popular culture with a gay character, right? This aired concurrently when this came out so Mm -hmm. this book came out either before or right when that book started so it was like pre-real world with pedro but i mean it's basically not that far post aids epidemic also true yes which also makes the choice to do lesbian women and not gay men interesting anyway there's a lot of like social reading into this text you could do but it was unquestionably I don't use the word brave. It was definitely like a significant step to take in 1993 in a heterosexual romance novel. Yes. Well, and I'm thinking too of another romance novel that when I first read it was probably in, uh, probably in like 95 when I first read it um, called Honor Splendor. It's actually my very first um, romance novel ever and I I like loved it I was like wow this romance novel is amazing this is so great and it started me reading romance novels uh and I recently reread it because I was like oh I wonder how this holds up listeners it does not hold up there is in fact a gay relationship in that novel which the the heroine hears about it and she literally throws up because it is disgusting so that could be better so all I'm saying is Comparatively, this is like light years ahead. So, yeah, I, I think it's definitely portrayed sympathetically. That said, I do think the B plots took up too much of the page here. <laughs> sure. So, I'm not sure which ones I ultimately would have cut. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know what I would have cut. I would have cut the second second mystery uh the whole who's embezzling from him totally <laughs> yeah that was completely sure. unnecessary um okay 
think we're segueing just naturally into content warnings. Okay. There was too much sexual assault in this book for me. Yes. So the first chapter when Jared meets her for the first time, he walks into the library and she is being sexually harassed by a neighbor, which I mean, it's pretty clear that he would have raped her. Yes. Had Jared not interfered. I mean, she's basically yelling for help and he's saying no one can hear you. Yeah. Uh, And then in her past, one of her uncles, one of the places. So as Lane said, she's been moved from family to family when she was younger. And one of the families, her uncle tried to rape her. As a child. Mm -hmm. I didn't need any of that. Right. So I started off reading this book in a bad mood because it was a lot of sexual assault really early. I mean, it, it, that's how it starts off. So I will say that for me, because, and I don't want to treat this lightly, but for me, because she doesn't, uh, because Olympia doesn't feel it as traumatic. Mm-hmm. I'm able to read past it. Right. And I think this is one of those things, though. Some things like the lip service paid to gay characters without fully fleshed characterization, I can totally contextualize with the time and say, like, no, this is absolutely how it had to be done then. Like, kudos to you for making it sympathetic. Whereas this is one of those things that, like, I don't care if the main character decides it's no big deal, like it is a big deal. It needs to stop being part of the traditional romance narrative, especially when it is just written off. Mm -hmm. I have no patience for it. I don't want to see it in my lit. I don't care if it's 30 years old. Yeah. So, so be aware that it's in there. Yep. Anything else? I mean, for me, no, there, there is a little bit of emphasis on her virginity, right? Eh, it it didn't get to the point that I felt like it was fetishizing innocence or that, like, he was attracted to her naivety. No, and in fact, he, when he first meets her, when they first start getting to know each other, he doesn't think that she is a virgin, and it makes no difference to him, obviously. And then when he does discover that she is, he's like, wow, she saved it for me. <laughs> like, I really, yes, necessary, no. Was I actually offended? No. No. Uh, sexy. So, again, I'm going to fall back on what I said before. Quick has a formula, and this fits the formula. So if you find it sexy, you will you will think that this book is sexy. They kiss in Chapter 3. They, like, go to third base in Chapter 6. Then they have sex by Chapter what, 12, something like that. I don't know oh, about the chapter. Well I know the kiss, the kiss is definitely chapter three. So I already said I think the language is a little too florid for me to actually get into this. And then I also said the relationship sort of shifts into gear without any textual buildup. So this is never going to be like my favorite sexiest thing. That said, Quick is good about not taking herself too seriously during sex scenes, which yeah. I really like. Oh, absolutely. I love it. <laughs> there's there's this one part. Um, so remember, he's got an eye patch. There's a part where he like looks back and he wants to look her in the eye, in the eyes. But it's like very 
specifically says, you know, it's something about his eye, just the eye. And just, it just cracked me up. I just like thought it was so funny. <laughs> I also thought you would probably enjoy the averted blowjob. Oh, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> but like overall, this is a fun book. It's, it's really, really fun. And I do think it's a pretty big change of pace from a lot of modern romance for reasons that I, we've talked about here, but also that I can't quite put my finger on. Yeah, it's, it, I'm not sure why. And most early romance is really tough for me to get into. Amanda Quick's is, is a change of pace, but it's like a fun change of pace. It's not something where I'm worried that there's going to be like forced seduction on every page. Right, like we will probably never read Honor Splendor for this podcast unless no. like we read certain pages to go back to talk about specific things. Yeah, no, we're not going to read that one. Uh, and there, it's it says a lot about Amanda Quick's timelessness, even where I complain about it being dated, that we're willing to read it and talk about it in a modern context. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, as as a big fan, I obviously recommend that you pick her stuff up and check it out. Um, oh, but I honestly think she's worth reading and I do think seeing what she was doing in 1993 gives me a new appreciation for some of the tropes, some of the people who are obviously paying her homage in the current pantheon, but also just sort of admiring what she was able to accomplish back then because not like in the sense that everybody thinks Victorians were prude or that like your previous generations were prudish, but just to see the way she talked about issues and how differently they'd be handled now. Well, I mean, it's an interesting thing to see too, because um, I mean, if we think about a recent romance that we read that had kind of a similar black sheep, I'm the black sheep of the family because I'm the good one. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it was the one by Cat Sebastian. Yes. Unmasked by the Marquis. Um, and that one was, you know, th- there was a nine, non-binary member of the couple, and then the hero was explicitly bisexual. Um, but it's just interesting to see that there are portions of that that could have been taken from the quick, for example. I don't know. I just yes. think it's very interesting. So. so thank you guys so much for listening. We would love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the Internet on Instagram at Plot Trists or Goodreads slash Plot Trists.